0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 is where we will spend our time together in God's Word. If you're new to North River Church, I want you to know that each week as we gather together, we open God's Word and read the Scriptures and seek to apply them to our lives. And so I would encourage you uh, to bring your copy of God's Word with you. Uh, Whether that's a physical Bible, whether that's on your device, Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you simply to grab one under the seat back in front of you, and you can take that with you as our gift to you. encourage you to read that, and every week as we gather together, I can promise you that we're going to walk through God's Word Together, As we prepare to do that, we're continuing our series called Origins as we walk our way through the book of Genesis, as we look at the beginning of what God did and what God is doing as we connect that from back then to where we are today. There's a name that you may recognize. The name is Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you grew up and read The Hiding Place when you were in school or at some point in your life. Uh, But if you've not heard that name, I want to share just a little bit about who she is and what she did. It's a phenomenal story of God working in and through someone for his glory, even though she walked through incredible difficulty in her life, she was born in Holland. Her dad was a jewelry store owner, a watchmaker. And at that point in time, she went into her father's trade. She was actually the very first woman who was certified watchmaker in the Netherlands. But as she was in Holland, she had a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so her life lived up to that point was focused on doing everything she could to help people meet Jesus, to impact their lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's at that point in time, during the Second World War, that the Nazis went in and occupied Holland. And as they were ravaging the location, the area, what her and her family did was to actually create a secret room off of her bedroom, and they would hide Jews who were fleeing the persecution from the Nazis in this room. And it's estimated that some 800 Jews made their way into their home uh, that was above the watch shop and into this room, and they were able to smuggle them out, and she was an incredible lady. You know her story at all. You know that eventually her and her family were caught, and they were imprisoned initially. Her dad died while he was in prison, and then her and her sister were sent to one of the concentration camps, Ravensbrück. And her sister ultimately died in the concentration camp. But uh, just miraculously by the work of the Lord, by an omission in some paperwork, she was actually released and let out. It's found out on the back end of that that those who were with her around her same age would the next day be sent to the gas chambers and executed at that point. When she escaped the concentration camp when she was able to begin traveling and telling her story, a lot of people wanted to hear that. They wanted to hear about all that God had done in and through her life. They wanted to hear about the incredible tragedy that she witnessed, the things that she saw as she was in the concentration camp. And so she began to travel and to tell her story. She began to write books and One of the things that she would do as she was telling her story of all that God had done in and through her life, especially during that incredible season, is she would look down as she stood behind the podium where she was speaking. And people thought maybe she was reading her notes as she was sharing her story, but in fact, she had in her hands needlepoint. And as she was sharing her story, she would talk about how walking through the difficult seasons of life, oftentimes for us, we struggle to see and to wonder, can God work through that? Can God work through our pain? Can God work through the difficulties that we experience in life, the tragedies, the loss, the hurt, and the pain? Can God do something with that? And she would hold up this needlepoint and show the backside of it. And there were strings of colors just chaotically put together. And she'd say, You know, the reality is for us, when we walk through difficult seasons in life, when we experience tragedy and loss and hurt, as believers, sometimes all we can see is what we see on the back of this needlepoint. It looks chaotic, it looks like it couldn't make any sense whatsoever. And then she would turn it around and she would show a beautiful picture of a crown. And she would say, But this is what God sees. This is what God sees of our. Lives as he is at work bringing about his plan and his purpose. What we look at oftentimes and think is chaotic, we don't understand, we don't get the pain, we don't get the hurt. We wonder could God actually be doing something? And yet, the reality is, God is working, and the plan and the purpose for which God is working is. Absolutely beautiful. What we're going to see in Genesis chapter 4 is tragedy, chaos. We're going to see sin on display. We're going to see, in fact, some of the greatest loss and hurt and pain. And we may be tempted as we walk through this together to think, I don't know how God could work through that. And yet I want to encourage you and bring within you some anticipation that what we're going to see as we reach the end of chapter 4 is God at work. I want to read the text for us this morning and as we read through the text, I want to ask the Lord if he would speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us as we look at it this morning. Genesis chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. And Irad fathered Mahujael, And Mahujael fathered Methusael, And Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, and you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, I want to encourage you to remember this truth God works in and through the chaos of our lives to further His redemption plan. God works in and through the chaos, the pain, the hurt, the loss the uncertainty of our lives, to further his redemption plan. When you look at Genesis chapter 4, it is absolute chaos. There's nothing too positive about what happens there. We encounter the first murder that took place in the world in Genesis chapter 4. And so what I want to do this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture is kind of approach it from two different perspectives. So from the first perspective, what I want us to look at, and as we walk through the text this morning, what I want us to see is the big picture. I want us to take a moment and zoom out simply from Cain's tragic situation here as he murders his brother. I want us to zoom out and to ask the question, what is God up to? And as we consider the tragedy that's laid out for us in the text this morning, can God work even through this type of situation? And also, as we zoom out, want us to zoom in and to look at Cain's life, to look at the sin that led him to take his own brother's life, and simply to ask ourselves the question, where are we in this story? How do we find ourselves in the text this morning? So as we look, beginning in verses 1 through 7, I want you to notice the expectation that Adam and Eve must have felt with the birth of Cain. Notice in verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Notice what she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. In fact, for Adam and Eve, this is a moment of celebration for them. Yes, we encounter them in Genesis chapter 3 going against God's plan and God's purpose. The very first sin in the world, we see it on display. We see God's judgment against them. We see God's forgiveness also of them, His sacrifice of an animal to clothe them so that they could continue living and moving, but they would both die spiritually and physically. What we see here is just a glimpse of their expectation that maybe this son would fulfill the promise that God had made to them in Genesis 3.15. Do you remember the promise? See, when God is telling Adam and Eve their punishment, he also says to the serpent, here's your punishment, But he makes this promise in Genesis 3.15. He says, I am going to send someone through the seed of woman who will crush the head of Satan. A Messiah. A Savior. So think about this. Adam and Eve in this moment have a son. And I can sense their expectation. Maybe this is the promised one. Maybe this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the one who is going to crush the head of Satan. We continue on. We see that they have another son. Verse 2, she bore his brother Abel. And we get a little bit of detail about the two sons. Abel, it says here, was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Notice the end of verse 4. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So get this picture. You've got these two sons born to Adam and Eve. In fact, for Adam and Eve, maybe there's great hope here that one of the sons was going to be the Savior. The promise would be fulfilled that God had made to Adam and Eve in the garden, and yet we find conflict very early on. In fact, we get some details about Abel. We find out that he's the keeper of the sheep, that when the Lord says bring to me an offering that he brings an offering to the Lord of the first fruits of his flock and we see also that Cain his brother brings an offering to the Lord as well but did you note the difference? It says that the Lord had regard accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's offering. So naturally the question flows well why? Why? Why does God receive one offering but not receive the other offering? There's been a couple of thoughts, some who have attempted to explain this, to figure it out. Some have said, well, the the issue primarily is the type of offering that's brought. Now, we don't know exactly what the Lord had said to them to... Let them know that he'd be worshipped as they brought their offerings to him. But one of the explanations is that you have for Abel bringing a lamb, some type of livestock to the Lord to offer as a sacrifice. And you have Cain who brings fruit and vegetables to the Lord and offers as a sacrifice now we know as we move into the old testament and the Lord gives to his people the way in which he'll be worshipped it is primarily through the sacrifice of animals that the Lord would be worshipped but I don't think that's what's going on here I think what we see going on is something, in fact, that we see throughout God's word, that God is more concerned not with the gift that we bring, but with the heart that we have as we bring the gift to the Lord. What we'll see throughout the scriptures and as we were talking about this passage in staff meeting this past week, Pastor Scott made that comment. He said, you know, one of the things throughout the Old Testament that you see is that God says to his people, I'm kind of sick of all the sacrifices and the offerings that you bring to me because your heart is not in it. Now think about that in relation to you and your offerings, your life, is your heart in it? God is more focused on our heart as we worship Him than what we bring because the reality is if our heart is with Him, then what we bring is going to be out of the overflow of what's going on in our hearts. The reason Pastor Scott said the hope and the prayer is that we gather together on Sundays and this is simply an overflow of the worship that's going on in our lives throughout the week. So at this point in time we see that there's an issue with Cain's offering. And I think the issue is a heart Issue. In fact, if you want to write this note down, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, when God details through the writer of Hebrews the faith hall of fame, he says that it is by faith that Abel offered to the Lord an acceptable sacrifice. It was a heart issue. It was a faith issue. And evidently for Cain, Cain's heart was not directed towards the Lord, was not in relationship with him as he brought this offering. Well, you notice the last part of verse 5. Cain was very angry and his face fell. Think about that. If you're a parent you've experienced this moment with your kids where they've done something wrong and you confront them with what they've done wrong. Said you hit your brother and you know you're not supposed to do that. Now in that moment, your child has the opportunity to do one of two things. To say, mom, dad, you're right. I shouldn't have hit my brother. I'm sorry. But what often do they do? Plant their feet, square up, and say, let's roll. They're not going to apologize. They're not going to say, I'm sorry. And that's exactly what we see Cain do. In fact, it says here that Cain grows angry, that his face falls. In verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen notice verse 7 if you do well will you not be accepted this Cain you you know how i prescribe prescribed to be worshiped you know what that's supposed to look like you know how to take that step can I just pause here for a second and say to us as well if you're a follower of Jesus we know that too and yet sometimes we find ourselves in the place of Cain as well our heart far from the Lord Maybe we showed up this morning and for us, our heart's just not in it. Say, Pastor, you don't know what my week was like. You don't know what I had to walk through this past week. Maybe you came in on two wheels in the parking lot this morning because you were running late and you yelled at your kids before they got out of the car. And then you pull in, you go, clean it up, we're going to church. But I want you to notice that The Lord says to Cain, you know what to do. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, notice what he says. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Notice that picture that he paints here. The Lord says to Cain, you have an opportunity in this moment. You know the right thing to do. You know how to respond to me in this moment. Simply ask for forgiveness for the offering that you brought when your heart wasn't in it. You know the step to take. But he also issues this word of caution, this description of sin that is crouching at the door, seeking to overtake you. A couple of years ago our family went out to Yosemite and we were hiking in the trails and one of the things that as you hike out that way that you see signs posted and it says beware of mountain lions which is never encouraging when you're hiking on a trail but it says beware of mountain lions and so we Knew that that was a possibility, and so we're having conversations. My wife researches and finds out that the way you respond to a mountain lion is not to run away from it, it will catch you and eat you, okay? But is to make yourself larger than you are. To which I thought, I got this, right? I mean, I easily can grab one of my kids, put them on my head. We get big, scare off the mountain lion, to which my wife, who's five foot, is like, that's not fair. (laughs) But notice that picture that's painted of this mountain lion walking on the boulders and sneaking its way up and lurching out and grabbing a hold of someone. I grew up in South Georgia and I saw this on display with rattlesnakes. That if you are close to a rattlesnake, it feels threatened that it will coil up and get ready to strike. Now think about that. Both of those pictures is the picture that's painted by the Lord for Cain when it comes to sin. That sin functions just like that. Now think about that in your life as a believer. That for you... Sin is functioning just like that in your life as a believer. But notice what the Lord says. You must rule over. So there's hope in this moment that he gives to Cain that he doesn't have to succumb to that sin. That he doesn't have to allow that sin to fester in his heart, in his life, and be displayed by his actions. He has the ability, through the power of the Lord to rule over that sin. I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus this morning that the same thing is true for you and for me. Sin no longer has power over you and over me because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We no longer are slaves to sin, the Apostle Paul would write, but we are slaves to Christ. So think about that in your life as a believer. What is that sin that is crouching at the door whose desire is contrary to you? Seeking to lead you away from your walk with Jesus and to lead you down a path. One of the things that I heard as a teenager, and I have absolutely no idea why it stuck in my mind, but forever it stuck in my mind. I was at a Service one time at church and someone made this statement about sin. They said, sin will lead you farther than you ever wanted to stray. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. At this point, we see the Lord offering to Cain another option. Don't succumb to the sin that is seeking to lead you astray, but what we see is expectation on Adam and Eve's part. Cain, maybe the fulfillment of God's promise, turned in verses 8 through 24 to devastation. Notice verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. The sin that was crouching at Cain's door, this heart issue that was going on, this anger that we see he experiences earlier in the text, instead of putting to death sin, instead of choosing to rule over it, and walk in obedience to the Lord Cain instead, allows that sin to bear fruit in his life. That fruit that sin bears in his life is murder. I want you to notice, though, it didn't start there. It started with anger, which makes sense why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, then it is... Just like you murdered him. Because what Jesus knows and what we've seen already is that our heart is what the Lord desires. At this moment, Cain kills his brother. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know, which was a lie. So not only does he have hate in his heart towards his brother, not only does he choose not to walk in obedience to the Lord and ask for forgiveness from him for this offering that he's offered, but he murders his brother. And then when the Lord confronts him, which let's just be reminded, we saw this take place in Genesis chapter three, God pursues sinners, such an encouragement for us here. He pursues Cain and Cain lies. Cain lies. Not only that, but there's, there's a, a tinge of taunting. I don't know if you noticed that. Kind of reminiscent of what happens when Adam and Eve are responding to the Lord when he asks what they've done. And Adam says, it's not my fault. It's her fault. She says, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. And then Adam says, and, and on top of that, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. We'd be all right if I didn't have her. But at this point in time, the Lord asks, where's Abel? Cain lies. And then he says, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. There is not an action that takes place that God doesn't I see? At this point in time, Abel is murdered by his brother Cain, and the Lord says, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. This image bearer of God, you remember what God had said about mankind, that we are created uniquely in his image. And this image of God is what makes us special and unique, why every single life is valuable and important. And the Lord says as he's talking to Cain, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Verse 11, and we're going to notice in the next few verses, he's going to lay out for Cain, here is your punishment. You're now cursed, from the ground which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. Therefore, you'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, parents, you've heard this before. If you've ever disciplined your kids, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. It's too much. It's not fair. Notice he says here, it's more than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I will be hidden. I'll be like a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Notice this at the end of verse 14. Notice his concern. Notice his concern. And whoever finds me will kill me. In that moment, you kind of want to go, you probably should have thought about that before you murdered your brother. Then the Lord said in verse 15, not so if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Notice verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Now think about that. In verse 1, there was a sense of expectation. Maybe Cain's the fulfillment of the promise that God had made in Genesis 3, 15, but it only takes 16 verses. For a moment of devastation as Cain left the presence of the Lord. Verses 17 through verse 24, we see the devastating effects of that. It's chaos away from the presence of the Lord. I mean, we see things taking place in that. We see polygamy in verse 19. We see murder again in verse 23. In fact, nothing about this is pretty at all. And the question we may have, if verses 25 and 26 were not there, is how's God going to work through that? And maybe that's the question you've asked in your life coming in today where all you see is the strings of various colors of your life woven together and you you don't know what God's doing you can't see in the loss and the hurt and the pain and the difficulty what could God be up to in my life but I want you to notice Though we move from expectation in verses 1 through 7 to devastation in verses 8 through 24, I want you to notice this sense of anticipation beginning in verse 25 through verse 26. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. Notice the end of verse 26. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Just a moment there of anticipation. What may the Lord do? Taking the chaos that we've just seen, what could come of this? Well, when you fast forward... When you look at Luke chapter three, verses 23 through verse 38, we see something in scripture that we often overlook and it's a genealogy. I don't know about you, but in my Bible reading plan, sometimes you read through those and you go, there's nothing there. I don't understand that. I don't know who, what, how, when. none of that makes sense. But in relation to this, what you see at the end of the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus, is guess who? This son that's born to Adam and to Eve, Seth. What we look at and we see on this tapestry is just jumbled colors and strings running to and fro. The Lord turns around and shows us the beauty of his redemptive plan at work even in the chaos. Corey Timboom, Boom, when she would show the tapestry of that needlework, she would read this poem. It's an unknown author, but as you think about God at work in your life, even in the chaos, even in the struggle, even in the pain, even in the difficulty, I want you to take note of this poem that she reads. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He works so steadily. Oft times he weaves in sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. For you this morning, you may only see the dark colors, the struggle, the difficulty, the hurt, the pain. I want you to hear me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God sees the other side. God sees the plan that he is unfolding in your life, a grand plan of redemption, our story as part of his story of bringing people to himself. I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me this morning and Our worship team will make their way back up. Maybe you've come in today and for you, you're walking through a dark season in your life. You're wondering, what is God doing? You're questioning whether God can work through the difficulty, the pain, the hurt, the struggle, the loss that you're experiencing right now. And my prayer for you this morning is that this text would remind you that what we see as chaos, God is able to take and to make a beautiful picture where His plan and His purpose flows through our lives. Maybe for you this morning, it's a moment where you simply Surrender yourself to the goodness and the plan of the Lord. To simply say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know how you could do it. But God, I trust you. And even though I can't see it, even though I can't understand it, I know that you are at work in my life. Maybe for you this morning, you've come in as a follower of Jesus, and for you, there's an area of sin, a pattern of sin in your life that needs to be confessed right now. Like a mountain lion, like a rattlesnake, it is doing everything it can to overtake your life, to destroy your relationships, your walk with the Lord. You have an opportunity this morning through the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to rule over it, to receive help from the Holy Spirit, to choose to walk in righteousness, to follow the plan that God's laid out for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. As we talk about this grand plan of redemption, Maybe for you, that step is to experience firsthand the forgiveness that is only made available through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his resurrection. The promise was fulfilled in Jesus. You can experience that today. Father, work in our hearts and our lives. Encourage us, challenge us, convict us. Do what only you can do we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Myself and Pastor Aaron will be down front. If we can pray with you, we'd love to do that. If you need to spend some time before the Lord in prayer this morning, I'd encourage you. You need to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you come and let us help you take that step?